0: Turn for me this evening to Ephesians chapter three, Ephesians chapter three verse fourteen. For this cause, the words of Paul. For this cause, I bow my knees, unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that He would, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened. With might by his Spirit in the inner man. Our well, friends, we're looking uh, this evening at this prayer of the Apostle Paul. A heartfelt prayer for the unbeliever is my uh, title. A heartfelt cry from the unbeliever's heart, from the believer's heart for the unbeliever. A heartfelt cry from the converted person's heart for the unconverted. Uh, These are the words of the the prayers of uh, the Apostle Paul. He lists the contents of his prayer rather than giving us the words, the wishes of his heart. In this particular case, it's for believers that he has in mind. This is who he is praying for, the Ephesian believers who have come to Christ, who have put away their idols and are now following the Lord, and this is what he wishes uh, for them. So primarily, uh, this prayer is for them. But for tonight, I'd like to look at it as a prayer for the unbeliever, the unconverted uh, person. Well, what can we say, friends? Prayer is so foreign to the unbeliever, isn't it? Prayer is not something that he engages in on a daily basis prayer is not he doesn't speak to god on a daily basis the unbeliever we can say never really prays it's not a habit with him to get on his knees and talk to his maker and pour out his heart to his maker he's got no time for that only when he's in trouble when he's in trouble and difficulties then there's a a cry a genuine cry lord help me oh god help me then it happens when he's in the hospital bed, he prays. If his life is in danger, then he prays. He's in that moment, he shoots up the emergency prayer. Perhaps he's never prayed before in his life. But then, it's like a natural instinct in his heart. He rises up and he prays. Perhaps he prays before an exam, an important exam. He wants to pass all these different areas. Perhaps in some emergency, he prays. But after that, once the danger is past, once the exam is over, once the the calm returns, once the fear has disappeared, then he returns to a a prayerless life. Then he ceases to call upon uh, his God and ceases to thank him uh, for the help he may well have received in answer to that prayer. Oh friends, this is so often the case uh, with the unbeliever. He doesn't make a habit of praying to, uh, to the Lord. The unbeliever doesn't pray for himself. He doesn't pray and intercede for his soul's needs. But thankfully, there are others who are praying for him. There are believers within his circle. If there are other Christians in his family, they're praying for him. Or there are colleagues at work and they're close colleagues or friends. They're they're praying for this unconverted person, praying and crying to God from their hearts, Oh, Lord, save this person. Oh, Lord, open their eyes. Help them uh, to see the truth. Enrich them, Lord, with your spiritual blessings. They're praying for you, not praying for your material (laughs) blessings so much. If you're sick, they'll pray for you, yes, for your health. But they're praying primarily for spiritual blessings to come your way, to be in your possession. They feel for you. They care for, uh, for their unconverted person. They care for their spiritual welfare. They see them. Oh, my, my colleague, my friend, my family member, they see the spiritual poverty that they have, the withouts in their life. Without Christ, without spiritual life, without faith in God, without God's help in life, without the knowledge of Christ's wonderful love, absent, they don't know about these things, without a place in heaven. They see these things in their friends, these people who are dear to them, and they're praying, oh Lord, enrich them, let it not continue in this way. Oh Lord, open your gracious hand. Freely give to them these blessings from you. This is the, the earnest desire of of, uh, of uh, believers for unbelievers. But let's look a little bit more at this. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now friends, you know, There are people who tell us that prayer to God, well, it's only for the weak minded person. It's only for the person uh, who uh, is emotionally unstable in some way, emotionally feeble, and he needs this kind of imaginary support in which to depend. Some people go even further, you've heard the saying, I'm sure, religion is a crutch, they say. Religion is a crutch. Faith in God, it's only for the weak. It's only for weak people. It's, not, it's only because that person, that man, that woman, is not strong enough to stand up on his on his own. He needs support. He needs a prop. He needs a strength in numbers, and he has that in religion. You may have heard of Ted Turner. Ted Turner is the founder of uh, CNN, and uh, he said Christianity it's a religion for losers that's what you are you believe in christ you're a loser that's why you turn to christ is it true is this true emotionally feeble imaginary support well you know what mark said isn't it something very similar along these lines religion is the opium of the people he said he said people are so uh, the the weak the poor of the land they don't have enough, so they must have this illusionary hope in the next life. A religion is gives them this illusionary hope and support for the next life. They should get rid of that hope. They should get on with life here, making their life better in this world. That was his idea in his philosophy. Get rid of these things, and so he sought to, to get rid of religion and extinguish the faith in Christ and and uh, this idea of uh, belief in, in the Lord. well, is it true? <laughs> is it true, friends, that uh, religion is only a crutch? Well, you only have to look at the person who is here praying to realize it's not, it's not true. Yes, this is the Apostle Paul who's praying. This is the man who had the greatest intellect of his generation, and probably the greatest intellect of years and years, the years since then. He had a massive intellect. His thoughts are preserved for us here in 13, 14, perhaps letters of the New Testament. And uh, they've been with us now for 2,000 years. And people still pore over his words. And people still think on these things. Millions every day are reading the words of the Apostle Paul. His words are preached all around the world, even on this Lord's Day. People are listening to the words of the Apostle Paul. Here is a man who has had a massive in- impact. Here is a man who could have done anything with his life. Such was his ability. Such was his intellectual capacity. He could have achieved anything. But here he is, Bowing his knees to his God. Inspired, yes, definitely by the Holy Spirit, but naturally speaking, a very capable man. Religion, a crutch to you, Paul? (laughs) No, no way. Oh, this man, he here, we see him, uh, he knows his position. Here is a man who realizes there is somebody greater than him. He is not the greatest. There is somebody who is higher than him and he speaks to God in this humble way. Can you see it? Can you see the picture here, friends? Here is a man who has discovered that the purpose for his life is not to just uh, excel in intellectual things and achieve great things for himself. He has realized the purpose of his life is to be in a relationship with God. That's what the whole reason uh, why, uh, why he's been made, why he's been created. He's found it. He's discovered it. He's in that relationship with God, and he's reveling in it. He loves it. He, he, his heart is fully in it. It's not a crutch, friends. Notice he's on his knees before God. This is not a relationship of equals. One is less than the other. One is greater than the other, and much greater, friends, than the other. The one with the massive intellect, he bows. Bows before the one who is the creator and maker of all things, the one who is far above him, greater than all. He's recognized it, that, that it is God. And he comes in this humble way. He's kneeling. It's a posture of humility. He's found the right place that he he ought to take. The pride has gone out of him Oh, before he was converted. He was never always like this. Before his conversion, he was a proud Pharisee, a proud religious person, a very self-confident person, very self-righteous person, and he thought he was the best. He thought uh, he was without fault, a very able person, but at the same time proud uh, to the highest degree, till the Lord met him. Till the Lord met him on that Damascus road, and we could say he was thrown to the ground when the Lord uh, appeared to him on that time. And uh, what, what can we say? The stuffing was knocked out of him. The pride in that moment was knocked out of him and he realized who the Lord is. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And he was humbled. And from that moment on, he never walked again in a proud way. Contact with the Lord humbled him. Oh, friends, have you ever been brought to your knees? Have you ever seen yourself as small, as God, as great and you as a very small person have you ever seen God as your creator and you as the created have you seen God as holy thrice holy and you as unholy before him have you seen yourself as a needy person Have you seen yourself as a guilty person deserving of God's judgment have you ever condemned yourself because of the way you have spoken The thoughts you've had the harsh words you've spoken against the lord that's the beginning of salvation that's how salvation starts not by coming in a proud way god begins to look at you and to listen to you and you come humbly before him that's how to have uh, or begin a relationship with with god that's the footing you must uh, start off with but look in verse fifteen, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Oh, this is the church family. This is the family of God, where God the Father is the father of this uh, family. Now, not everyone belongs to this church family. All we could say belong to the human family. All of us belong to the family of mankind. We all share similar features, human features, human qualities that link us together, things that are common to us all, a common likeness, things that distinguish us from the animals. All of us belong to that human family, we could say. We all come from the same first parent, from Adam. But within this universal family, as it were, of mankind, there's another family. It's the family of God, made up only, only, of those who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And God is the father of this family. Here is a great privilege to belong to this particular family, to have God as your father, As a father, he watches over his children. As a father, he provides for for them. He protects them from dangers. He trains them. He educates them. He helps them when they cry to him in times of trouble. So many things that he does for them. He cares for them as the apple of his eye. Oh, friends, this is what a great privilege to belong to to him, to have that sense of belonging. I belong to God, and He belongs to me. I'm a, His child. I'm known by Him. I have uh, that likeness uh, of faith, uh, or that spiritual likeness. I have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Through it, we are brought into this family, and that's what people are praying for you for. If you're an unbeliever, may we Lord bring this particular friend into your family, that they may know also your goodness and share in the privileges that we enjoy as well. Verse 16, here is another desire uh, that is prayed for, that he will grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Another request, another petition, Strength within, (laughs) inner strength, strength in our souls. The other day, not so long ago, I went to the garage and I had to take my car in for some minor repairs and uh, while I was there waiting, uh, one of the other mechanics sort of uh, tapped me on the shoulder and said, can you give us a hand pushing your car? So I went out. It wasn't, in fact, a car, it was a van. And uh, they were stuck in the mud. It was a very wet day. It was parked outside. It was stuck in the mud. And uh, I and a few others, we got, and we were pushing from the front. And we went behind, and we pushed from behind, back and forward. We went until we got the van uh, out of, of the mire. And we managed to push it all the way into the garage. But without aid, without help. That driver would never have been able to get his van into the garage where it needed attention. He couldn't budge uh, his vehicle on his own. Well, friends, it's the same for us in a spiritual sense. There are things in, in our lives. There are heavy loads, heavy burdens that is just impossible for us on our own to remove. Weighty burdens that if we tried, we would fail instantly loads which we just cannot remove there's the burden of a guilty conscience we carry it with us we try what we can to get rid of it we suppress it we we turn our attention to entertainment maybe or we try to sleep it off or to drink it off in some cases it doesn't go away it always returns it's impossible for us to get rid of it by our own strength We need help. There's the load, the heavy burden of a dead soul. Oh, friends, if we are unconverted, our souls are dead. It's like a corpse, a spiritual corpse. We carry around with us, into our work, into our homes, a spiritual corpse. We have no power to bring that soul to life again. That soul which enables us to communicate with God, to relate to Him, to have that spiritual life. We have no power in ourselves to revive ourselves. Only God can do it. Only He must do it. Only He can give us life. We cannot, by our own strength, remove this load. There's a temptation to sin. It's too strong for us. The allurements of the world are too powerful for us. On our own, our lusts are too strong for us. On our own, friends, we cannot prevail against these things. We need another helper. Like that, that uh, heavyweight boxer last week, I believe, knocked out in the first round. The, within, the, within three minutes, he was knocked out of our flat. And uh, we're like that, so easily knocked down by the temptations and the lusts that come our way. We may try and resist, but we're not able to, friends, without help. And this is where the Lord comes in. That's why we need conversion. That's why we need a new heart. That's why we need the Holy Spirit to come and give us a new heart and give us the strength. And that's what conversion does for us. The Spirit of God comes to live in a person and to help them to overcome their sins and their lusts and to revive their soul and to take away that guilty conscience through believing in the Lord and seeing what He has done on Calvary's cross. He is there to help us in uh, in these ways. Verse 17, here is another petition, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded love christ dwelling in your heart by faith christ in them in the heart (laughs) you know in the heart (laughs) where we keep very precious things thoughts we remember perhaps the day we got engaged you remember perhaps the day of our wedding you remember perhaps the day of the birth of our children all these things are very in our hearts so very precious to us we keep them there, we think about them, we remember them at the anniversaries and so on. Oh friends, the things that are in our hearts are there that we dwell upon and we we rejoice in, we muse upon them, we easily go towards them. It's no pain for us to do so. It's a delight for us to do so. Christ in the heart. A miser has money in his heart. He's always dwelling on money, checking his bank accounts, checking his uh, incomes and expenditures, checking how he can make more money. He's checking the financial pages of the newspaper or the stock exchange to see how his, uh, his shares are doing and so on. He's got all this in his heart. That's his affection. That's what he's after. That's the thoughts and the delight. When his money goes up, he delights. He's happy. It's in his heart. A materialist has possessions in their heart. They're thinking about what to buy. They like to go online shopping. They like to do window shopping. It's no trouble to them. Their affections are in these things. This is what they set their heart on. They want to redo their house and make it all lovely and fill it with luxurious things because they like these possessions. And they revel in them. A proud person... himself in this heart he thinks about himself all the time he's a he he checks himself in the mirror or or everywhere he's thinking about his lot his advance how everything affects him it's all about himself but a, a Christian a believer has Christ in the heart and in the affections and in his thoughts this is his delight the Lord Jesus Oh friends this is what pe- the believer wants for his unbelieving friends let them know let them have Christ in their affections let them have know the love of Christ let him be their joy let him be their delight but then finally i turn uh, to this final pet- uh, petition in verses 18 and 19 may that you may be able to comprehend With all saints, what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Jesus Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. This is the final request. Let them discover the love of Jesus Christ. Here is something else the unbeliever doesn't have. He is without the knowledge of the love of Christ without the knowledge that he is personally loved of Christ he doesn't have that he settled for other loves he's content with just human love that's enough for him he thinks that's the best i can get in life there's more friends something much much more and a love much much higher than this they're missing out on this this love Christ's love, this divine love. And it's the wish of the believer that the unbeliever has the knowledge of Christ's love. The breath of his love. What can we say about that? None are excluded. No one is excluded. There is is nothing there. It's whoever comes. It doesn't matter what nationality you are. It doesn't matter what age you are. You come to Christ. The breath of His love welcomes you and will accept you if you come uh, humbly to Him. The length of His love, it lasts forever. It's not for a short time. It's not affected by uh, things that uh, that you don't do or or do even after you've come to know Him. He doesn't one minute set His love upon you and the next minute change and become uh, against you. It's a love that knows no end. The love of Christ, once you know it, or oh, human love, is such a fragile thing. It's a wonderful thing in many ways. And we, we need more human love. But it's also sad, a very fragile thing and sometimes very small things bring an end uh, to human relationships between friends, between spouses, between uh, parents and children. It's in so many ways. But this love, our friends there is no end to it the length of christ's love we talk about what lengths we will go to for our children (laughs) what lengths did christ go to for his people he went he came all the way down uh, from heaven he came into this world took upon himself a human body what lengths will you go to lord is that enough no he must humble himself while he is in this world. Is that enough? Lord, you've given us a good example. No, I must go another extra mile. And he went all the way to Calvary's cross, the lengths of his love to go there, to to hang there and to be shamefully treated and despised, and then to have the wrath of God poured out upon him that which should have fallen upon his people, upon those who trusted in, uh, in him, fell upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And he bore it for us. He bore it for his people. That's what Christ did. That's the length of, uh, of his love that he went to. The depth of it, <laughs> his sincere love. It's no, there's no superficiality. It's not on the surface, His love. You are in His heart. <laughs> we talked just now about Christ being in our heart. But here it is, you are in His heart. You come to Him. You give your life to Him. You become precious. You are precious to the Lord. You are of value to the Lord. You are in His heart. You are in His, heart. You're in his thoughts. It reaches, the depth of it reaches even to the lowest state of life. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter how badly you have sinned in life, or the terrible things that you have done. Still, the Lord will receive you. The height of it, the height of His love, it brings us from that lowest state to an exalted state. It brings us to glory. It brings us to heaven. It brings us to be with him forever. Oh, friends, there's nothing, nothing in all this world that can compare with the love of Jesus Christ for his people. We found it, we love it, we delight in it, we revel in it, and we desire that other people, the unbeliever, may also know it too. Oh, will God hear this prayer? Will God hear this prayer that believers make for the unbeliever? we hope so. We hope so. We cannot guarantee that it will be so for every single person that we pray for. We don't know. Time will tell. But this we do know. If you yourself get on your knees and you pray to the Lord yourself, this is the guarantee. God will hear your prayer. God will answer you. God will bring you into a relationship with himself. If you repent of your sins and you say, Lord, I yield my life over to you. I trust only in Christ the Savior. Save me. Give me that inner strength. Grant me your spirit. Grant me faith in Christ. Let me know in a great way your love. Bring me to yourself, into your family. He will hear that personal prayer and he will bless you in a way that you could never imagine. Pray, friends. Cry to the Lord for him. Cry from your heart. You don't have to pick specific words. Pour out your heart before him. Say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Let's pray together. O Lord, we pray and cry out unto you the prayer answering God. Lord, hear our cry and grant that we may each one know the blessings and the privileges of faith in you. May we be brought to our knees. May we be brought to realize and feel that you are great and we are small. May your spirit work in us. May your spirit come O Lord, to reside in our hearts, change us and make us your very own and stamp your image upon us. Bless us, we pray, even in your your presence here this evening. May each one of us be known after your name. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Let's close by singing our final hymn, which is number 300. And 80 O thou who hast redeemed a fold, Here's a prayer friends, that you can pray 380)